Thank you, Roland, and happy birthday on Tuesday, num number 29 for him. <laughs> I'm glad to be with you here this morning. Do you know, I remember as a child playing outside and hearing my mom call to me, Bonnie, it's time to come in the house. But there were times when that voice was not so pleasant. Bonnie, Lou, Hartle, get in the house. The power of the middle name. You know, when our parents used our whole name, they were saying, woe to you. How terrible it's going to be for you. And sometimes it wasn't a voice. Sometimes it was just a look. My girl said I had an evil eye, and it looked like this. And any time I looked like this, I was saying, woe to you. And they knew they were in trouble. You know, it's the same anywhere you go in the world. Several weeks ago, Steve and I were in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we were at this lion game reserve. And I hear this mom talking to her son in Zulu. Well, I don't speak Zulu, but the look on her face. I thought, oh, woe to you, son. How awful it's going to be for you. Well, we all know that voice, that look of warning, but no one knew it as well as the scribes and Pharisees. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? They are the Jewish leaders who have dedicated their whole lives to the observance of God's law. They have this burning devotion for God. They want to get it right. So when God says rest on the Sabbath, why, they come up with 39 rules of things you can't do on the Sabbath. Oh, don't walk that far. That's too far to walk on the Sabbath. Oh, don't lift that. That's too heavy to lift on the Sabbath. And in their attempt to define God's law, they have become arrogant legalists in carrying out God's law. And so here we are, Matthew 23. Probably in the temple, there's a crowd there, and, and there are the disciples, and here are the Pharisees. The Pharisees. And Jesus is angry at the Pharisees. He's about to use their middle name. He's about to give them the evil eye. And he says this in verse 23. He says, woe to you. Oh, woe to you. Here we go. Here's a warning. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? In the original Greek, the word is hypocrites, and it means this. A hypocrite is one who acts a part. One who wears a mask to cover his true feelings. One who puts on an external show while inwardly his thoughts and feelings are very different. And Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. He says you wear masks. You're trying to impress everyone how, in God, how godly you are. But inside you have godless hearts. So, here come the Pharisees. Do you see how godly we are? See, the Pharisees wore scripture rolled up and put in boxes, and they tied it around their heads and on their left forearm to remind them of God's law. Oh, but the Pharisees, trying to impress everyone with their godliness, they had loads of scripture, loads of boxes, and they walked around. Do you see how godly we are? Look at all of the scripture that we wear. And then their robes had fringes on the bottom, and their prayer shawls had fringes on them to remind them of God's commands. 
but again, wanting to appear so righteous, they had lengthened their fringes. Do you see how godly we are? Do you see our lengthened fringes on our robes? And then when they would pray, why they'd go out in the public and pray so everybody could see them pray. Do you see how godly we are? Do you hear our long and eloquent prayers? Well, Jesus always sees behind the mask. He sees the true feelings, the true desires, the real person. Well, these were the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, last week we started in Matthew 23, and Pastor Susie shared the first three woes that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. And today we want to look at the next four. Starting in verse 23, it says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. The Jews were to bring a portion of their crops, a tithe or a portion, to the temple, to the Levites, to pay for the Levites for all the work they were doing here. And everyone knew the law meant that you tithe and give from the big main crops. But mint and dill and cumin, these are little plants in the kitchen. But here come the Pharisees. Do you see how righteous we are? Do you see we tithe this little mint leaf from our plant in the kitchen? And Jesus says, why are you so concerned about a mint leaf? What about important things like justice and mercy and faithfulness? Then Jesus gives a humorous example. He says, you know, you, you blind gnat, you blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, a Jew committed to a kosher diet had to be so careful not to swallow a gnat because it couldn't be bled properly because it was so small. So to prevent from swallowing a gnat by mistake, they would take their wine and pour it through a piece of muslin to catch any gnat or insect. And Jesus says, oh, you're so good about making sure you don't eat a little gnat. And then you go devour a whole camel, which is also unclean. He says, you hypocrites. You wear masks. You put on this external show. While inwardly your thoughts and feelings are very different. Oh, Jesus is not done. Here comes the next one. Woe to you. Here we go. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. The Jews had all these rules for washing dishes. And how you cleaned a dish was determined by what it was made out of. It was cleaned one way if it was made of metal or wood, another way if it was made of bone or leather. A dish that held spices was cleaned differently than a dish with holes in it to sift grain. They had all these rules. And the Pharisees kept all of these rules for cleaning dishes. But they paid no attention to what went in the dishes. The food obtained that they ate was often obtained by cheating, stealing from the poor, extortion, excess. Ah, oh, but no, the Pharisees went around saying, oh, do you see how godly we are? Look at our clean, clean dishes. 
And Jesus says, you blind Pharisee. He says, first pay attention to what goes in the cup, and then the outside will be clean. How are you getting your food that goes in your plates? Are you cheating? Are you stealing from the poor? He said, the food you eat, you should get by honesty and truthfulness and temperance and righteous living. Oh, Jesus isn't done. I think here comes the middle name. Here we go to the next one. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. The most common place for a tombstone was right by the side of the road. But if a Jew touched a tombstone, they were unclean and they couldn't enter the temple. So here comes Passover, and all the Jews are on their way to Jerusalem, and the roads are crowded. And so to prevent a Jew by accidentally stumbling over a tombstone and becoming unclean, they whitewash the tombs. <laughs> and the Pharisees say, do you see how godly we are? Did you notice our tombstones so beautifully painted? And Jesus says, yes, and you're just like those tombstones. You look great on the outside. But just like under that tombstone there are dead bones, you are full of dead bones. You're dead. Ouch. Jesus is not done. One more. He says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, for you, build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers... We would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Why? If we had lived when our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers lived, we would never have killed one of God's prophets. And Jesus says, killing prophets is exactly what you do and what you will continue to do. Well, I'm just glad I'm not one of those Pharisees Jesus was talking about. They wore masks to impress everyone of their godliness. They wore masks to show God. You see, God, see how godly I am? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever tried to impress God or someone else with how godly you are? You see, I don't yell at my children. I'm a wonderful parent. <laughs> Have you noticed how kind and loving I am to my spouse? I tithe my money to the church. I don't overspend on my credit card. Did you see? I just gave that homeless man $10. I read my Bible every day, every day. Have you noticed how many Sundays in a row I come to church? And when a sexual joke is told, I always turn away. And I never, never, never participate in any gossip. You see, the Pharisees are not the only ones who wear masks. We are the mask wearers. We are the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? One who acts apart. 
one who puts on a mask to hide his true feelings, one who puts on an external show while inwardly his thoughts and feelings are very different. We are the hypocrites. In the book, The Cure, the author talks about a man, we're just going to call him Bill. And Bill is walking down the road on this journey, and he comes to a fork in the road. Goes that way, goes that way. And there's a post right in front of him. And on the post, there are two signs. On this sign, it says, pleasing God. That goes that way. On this arrow sign, it says, trusting God. To the road that way. Bill thinks. Pleasing God. Trusting God. Pleasing God. Trusting God. And Bill wonders, well, which is the best road to take? Should I try to please God or should I try to trust God? And he says, it must be pleasing. After all God has done for me, I want to please him. And so he goes down the path to pleasing God. And he comes to a building with a sign over the door. And the sign says, the room of good intentions. Oh, the room of good intentions. And Bill walks inside. And there are thousands of people. And Bill says, oh, these must be all the people who have the good intentions of pleasing God. And a hostess comes to him and says, welcome to the room of good intentions. Oh, Bill's so excited to be here. He says, hi, how's everybody doing? And they all put up their masks. Oh, we're fine, just fine, everyone's fine. The kids are great, the business is great. We're fine, everyone, just fine. And the hostess says, and sir, how are you? And Bill says, well, you know, I'm not doing that. I've been struggling with sin and, and with disappointment and discouragement, and I just And the hostess hands Bill a mask, and everyone nods for him to put it on, and so he does. You see, this is the room of good intentions, where conversations are superficial and guarded, and no one sees the real person behind the mask. They wear masks to gain acceptance of everyone. They wear masks to impress God. Bill gets tired of wearing a mask. He's tired of the room of good intentions. He's tired of performing. He's tired of pretending. He wants to talk about what's really going on inside of him. And so he leaves the room of good intentions. And he gets over here, he goes back to the fork in the road. Pleasing God, trusting God. Pleasing God, eh, trusting God. And so he walks down the path to trusting God, and he comes to a building with a door, and over the door it says, the room, not of good intentions, the room of grace. And Bill walks inside, and a hostess says, Welcome to the room of grace, and how are you today, sir? Ooh, Bill's not going there. Last time he said that, they shoved a mask in his face. So he just says, Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's just fine, I'm just doing well, don't have any... 
I'm not fine. I haven't been fine in a long time. I'm tired. I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm afraid. I'm sad most of the time, but I pretend I'm not. I'm not doing well. And Bill walks away knowing he won't be welcome there. And everybody in the room starts laughing. And the hostess says, Bill, come back. They're telling you that you're welcome here. And so Bill walks back in, and everybody's nodding his head. We get the sin thing. And no one, no one is wearing a mask. This is the room of grace. The people in this room have trusted that Christ's death on the cross took care of their sins. They're forgiven. They have a new nature. They have the Holy Spirit in them. And an older man comes and puts his arm around Bill. He says, you have to start by trusting God. If you don't trust him, you'll never please him. You see, Bill, the people in this room, they say this. I am righteous and holy because what Christ has done for me. And today I will trust in who God says I am instead of focusing on some right behavior to prove my godliness. They live out of who God says they are. They are righteous, they are holy, they are forgiven. Instead of focusing on some right behavior to prove to God and everyone else how great they are. So what about you? Where do you hang out? Are you over here in the room of good intentions? Trying to impress everybody? Yeah, it's so good to see you this Sunday. Everything's just fine. Things are going so well for me. Don't have any issues, no problems. No, I'm just doing, I'm so great. It's great. This is where the Pharisees lived. Do you see how godly we are? See our charitable acts? Do you see, we have our act all put together. And Jesus says, well, you take off your masks and come over here to the room of grace. Jesus says, do you think I care more about some right behavior than I care that you trust me? You see, in the room of grace, we don't have to prove anything to God. Because it's not about pleasing him. It's about trusting him. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, faith and trust are the same things. So it really says without trust, we will never please God. It starts with trusting. When we started this series several weeks ago, Jonathan was preaching and he gave us a list of people at whom God is not angry. And I thought this was so good. I want to read it again first. Jonathan said this, Jesus is never angry at people who make mistakes. Jesus is never angry at people who believe crazy things. He's never angry at people who have premarital sex. He's not angry at people who spend too much money and go into debt. Jesus is never angry at people who look at porn or people who have eating disorders. 
Jesus is never angry with gay people. He's never angry with people who have bad marriages. He's never angry with alcoholics. Jesus is never angry with people who doubt the existence of God. He's never angry with people who are afraid. He is not angry. He invites us to follow this path of trusting him to get over here to the room of grace where there is no shame. No shame. So what path do you follow this morning? If you go down this path of pleasing God, you are focused on your right intentions. I've got to get it right. I've got to try harder. I'm trying not to sin. I've got to get it right. I've got to please God. But I live out of who I believe I am, and I'm really not enough. I can't do it because I keep sinning. But if I follow this path of trusting God, I come over here to the room of grace, and I live out of who God says I am. Who does he say I am? He says, I am enough. <laughs> I'm enough. Because I trust him, I do please him. Jesus is madly in love with me. He calls me righteous and holy and forgiven and chosen, and I don't have to prove anything to him. You know, I wonder what would have happened if the Pharisees had taken off their masks. You know, if they just said, enough of this. We are so tired of pretending to be someone we're not. We need to start thinking about who Jesus says we can be. And you? Do you live out of who you believe you are? Not enough. Trying harder. Or do you live out of who God says you are? Righteous and holy. You are enough. You may not be sure which room you're in. Here's one way to tell. What happens when you sin? If you're over here in the room of good intentions and you sin, you are filled with shame. Shame comes from the evil one. Shame says, oh, there's something wrong with me because I sin. Oh, and I have all this shame. And I asked Jesus to forgive me, but I don't think he can because, oh, what I did was so bad, and I have all this shame, and that causes me to repeat the sin. And because I sin now, I'm full of shame again. And that shame causes me to sin, and it's shame and sin and shame and sin, and I'm trying to sin less but I can't because I live out of who I believe I am and I am a sinner. I'm just going to be a sinner. But if you're over here in the room of grace and you sin, you're filled with guilt, not with shame, but guilt. Guilt says, I did something wrong. So different than shame that says, there's something wrong with me. No, I did something wrong. Guilt's a good thing. It comes from the Spirit of God. 
It's God's way of showing us that we did something wrong so we can confess it and receive forgiveness, and there's no shame. There's no need to wear a mask. I live out of who God says I am, not a sinner, but a saint who sins. Not a sinner, but a saint who sins. Do you see the difference? When we get to the end of this chapter, Matthew 23, we see these amazing words from Jesus. All this anger that he's had for the Pharisees, it comes from this heart of sorrow for them. Because Jesus sees down the road. He sees the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus loves Jerusalem. And we read in other passages that he weeps over Jerusalem. I think Jesus is weeping here. Verse 37, Jesus turns to the Pharisees and he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You were not willing. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to know his love. He wanted them to experience his forgiveness. He wanted the Pharisees to take off their masks and be free from shame. And he wants the same for you. Take off your mask. Come to the room of grace and let him gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. Can you place yourself here? There's shelter. There's love. There's forgiveness. There's no shame. No shame. We can live out of who Jesus says we are. We are chosen, we are righteous, we are redeemed, we are holy, we are justified, all because of Christ. This morning when you came in, you found a mask on your seat. Will you find that mask and just hold it in your hand for a moment? When you get home, you may want to write the words on the front like I did mine that say, I'm fine. This is a mask we let everybody see. Things are great with me. Good to see you. How are you doing? Just great. I'm fine. Everything's really good. But my question to you this morning is, who are you behind the mask? What words would you write on the inside of the mask that would show the real you. What are you trying to hide? What would be devastating for you if people could see this one thing about you? What sin or sins cause you shame? Where have you not experienced the forgiveness and restoration of Jesus? What words would you write here that would talk about the secrets that you hold? We're going to take a moment for reflection. As the music plays, 
Let's think about this. What words would I write on the inside of my mask that would describe the real me? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. I'll come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness will bought with the precious blood of Jesus. celebrate communion this morning it's a time for forgiveness if you're wearing a mask if you're living with some unconfessed sin that causes you shame take it off and come to the room of grace Jesus says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us he's just that means he's able to forgive us and he will forgive us. He's faithful to forgive us. I'd suggest that we take our masks home with us today and put them in a place that will remind us that we live with no shame. We don't have to wear masks. We don't have to hide behind a mask because we certainly don't need to impress God. And we don't need to impress each other. We can be free from the shame. You know, Jesus created a wonderful way for us to celebrate our forgiveness. In the Old Testament over here, they had feasts and festivals. And these feasts and festivals did two things. It was a time for people to confess 
their sins and receive forgiveness, and it was time to celebrate their salvation. Well, here we are in the New Testament. We don't have feasts and festivals anymore. But now we have communion. And communion is a time to do those two things, to confess our sins, receive forgiveness, and to celebrate our salvation. And we're going to do that this morning.